Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. I was kind of excited. <laughs> I'm sorry, Reese. Sorry, Reese, I couldn't resist. <laughs> that was awesome, though. What a, what a great-looking group of guys in here. Bless you guys. So glad to be here sharing the Word with you this morning. I do want to ask you to pray for, we have a group of women right now, first all-women's team uh, from North Monroe in Honduras right now, discipling women. I think they, are they traveling today or tomorrow? Today. So they'll be traveling today. So pray for them. They've done an amazing job all week. And I'm so excited about our overall missions project. Uh, On the 13th of this month, we have another mission team that's leaving for Burma and Vietnam. And Vietnam opens the 15th nation that this church is working in around the world. They go in and uh, we, uh, we teach pioneer evangelism, we identify pastors, we start new churches, and then we come back and we disciple those pastors by teaching them the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians. And, you know, some of that stuff we can do through Zoom. I've been teaching these pastors in Burma for the last 10 or 12 weeks on Wednesday nights. Um, but some of it you still got to go, and uh, that's expensive. And so the expense of that is largely covered through a single event that we do, the Sportsman's Banquet. And uh, that's coming up. So you'll notice there's some advertisement out in the commons about that right now. Um, and some of you bought tables over the past few years, and if you would, pray about that and help us with that La- past few years. Last year was the first year we did it. So <laughs> that's pastorally speaking. Uh, but... Uh, uh, last year, we raised 185000 and believe it or not, we spent all of that on international missions. Uh, the, the cost is just unbelievable, but the, the benefit of what we're seeing happen, the gospel going out around the world, amazing. So let's get our Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 5. You know, most people, when they think about Jesus, they want, really want to they don't really want to take Him seriously. You know, they want to create this image of Jesus that they can kind of control. And so in their minds, they always create this somewhat impotent Jesus. He's sort of like a grandfatherly kind of figure that he's super needy of your love and so um, and appreciative if you do wind up showing up or giving him a call ever so often. And that's the idea. I don't really have to deal with him. I don't necessarily want to reject him, but at the same time, I don't have to embrace him. He just sort of logs somewhere in the back of my mind as sort of this character not to be taken seriously, right? And that's kind of what people do with Jesus. Uh, um, And that's the modern image they get. They would say, well, you know, he's a good man and he's a a great moral teacher. And wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody just did what Jesus did, you know? But there's a glaring problem with that. And the glaring problem with that is Jesus said he was God, And when a person claims to be God, then that whole idea of just a good man or a moral teacher kind of goes out the window. Because if a person claims he's God, he either is or he's something very different from that. C.S. Lewis in that famous line talked about this. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, 
or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. One guy said Jesus was one of three things. He was either a liar, that is, he said he was God, but he wasn't. Or he was a lunatic, that is, he thought he was God, but he wasn't. Or he was who he said he was, and he was Lord. And so John chapter 5 shows us a very different portrait of Jesus than the one we like to, in the back of our mind, especially in Southern comfort culture, like to identify with Jesus. Um, First, Jesus is going to reveal his power, and then secondly, he's going to reveal his authority. And we don't have time to to measure all that out today, so we'll take it in steps. Let's deal with his power today, and if Jesus doesn't come back, we'll deal with his authority next week. So let's focus on power. John chapter 5, Jesus has healed this man at a pool called Bethesda, uh, the house of uh, healing. Uh, He is coming into the temple. He's back in Jerusalem. And outside the sheep gate, there was a temple. I mean, there was a pool, that sort of a rectangular pool. And the superstition was that from time to time, an angel would get in the water, stir the water up, and the first person who was sick or ill or lame or whatever got in the water, that person would be healed. And so Jesus comes to this place. It's packed with... uh, Sick people from everywhere. Everybody just sort of comes and leaves their sick relative and kin there, hoping that maybe they might get healed, but mostly probably just hoping that it's some, just somebody else can deal with the problem for a while. There's a guy there's 38 years sick, and his sickness was was something that was causing him to be immobilized. Uh, He doesn't really identify, but 38 years sick. And Jesus walks up to the guy and he says, do you want to be made well, which is a crazy question for a guy that's been sick for 38 years, right? And the guy's like, well, I've tried and tried, but I can't get to the pool if somebody always gets in front of me. And so Jesus says, well, then arise, take your pallet and walk. And man, in that moment, this guy was dramatically, profoundly, powerfully changed. This guy that's been sick for 38 years, he stands up And he picks up his pallet and he begins to walk around. The Greek word is peripateo. It means to walk about. This guy's walking around. Now I'm telling you, if you've been immobilized and crippled for 38 years and you weren't able to move, I'll tell you what happens. Your tendons begin to shrink. Your muscle tone begins to decrease. Everything starts to go janky. We had this kid that uh, one of our mission teams to Ukraine had found in an orphanage in Ukraine. He was about 12 years old at the time and he had been laying in bed with a broken uh, hip or bone for three years. They just threw him in an orphanage and left him. And his leg was like this and it was totally locked and he couldn't straighten his leg because he had laid on it for three years. And they brought him to America and through tremendous surgical effort, they were able to get this guy mobile again, get his leg moving, and he was able to walk somewhat. But Jesus walks up to this guy that's been paralyzed 38 years just laying around, said, get up and walk. Guy gets up and walk. Man, that's got to be one of those mouth-hanging open moments. I mean, don't underestimate the power of that scene. And people must have been just 
dropping their jaw at what just happened. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this celebration begins to break out. But it's interesting, Jesus told him to pick up your pallet and walk. And I think Jesus was setting up the Jews. Now, when I say Jews, I'm not talking about Jews in the modern sense, but the Jewish leaders of Jesus' time. John simply refers to them as the Jews, but he was referring to the Jewish leaders. And these were Jewish leaders who were of a clan called the Pharisees, who were very legalistic, very domineering. Think of modern-day Islam in Iran, sort of really old-school, really cruel-at-times kind of religion. And these guys were intent on doing everything the Bible said. And when the Bible didn't say enough, they'd make up some rules to finish it off. And they had all these rules related to the Sabbath. And one of the rules was you couldn't carry a pallet on the Sabbath. So Jesus is setting these guys up. He's laid a trap. And sure enough, they step right in it. They take the bait. And they see this guy walking around. And they want to know, what are you doing walking around with your, with your pallet on the Sabbath? And he's like, well, the dude that just healed me after 38 years of being sick, he told me to do it. So I'm doing what he said. They're like, who is this guy? Finally, they get to Jesus. And man, they're furious. And the absurdity and the irony of all of it is so apparent because here's a guy that's been sick for 38 years and he's healed and all they care about is Jesus broke one of their dumb rules. They didn't care a thing about that guy. But rather than, and, they, and the Bible says they had begun to persecute Jesus because of that. In other words, they, they begin to throw the weight of their authority around and they begin to threaten Jesus. But rather than kowtow to their threats, Jesus ratchets it up. And he takes the conflict to a whole nother level. He's like, you guys think you're mad about the Sabbath? Let me tell you who I really am. In John chapter 5, verse 17, but he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. In other words, he's making himself equal with God. And they reacted to this violently. Verse 18, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more, underline this word, to kill him. And, and when it says kill him, literally these people killed people for this kind of thing. Now, how does that sort of fit in your Easter basket of Jesus ideas? I had a professor one time say, just be sure in whatever idea you have of Jesus that you have in your mind an idea of a man who made other people so angry that they would kill him. He's not some milk toast, mamby-pamby, sort of uh, needy personality that we like to imagine in our minds, but he's authoritative and powerful, and people reacted violently to that. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling his own father, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And in this confrontation, we meet a Jesus that most modern people would never recognize. You see, Jesus was commanding, forceful, and powerful. And he's just manifest that power by healing a guy 38 years of sickness. And now he's going to reveal the source of that power. And I have to admit to you, he uses language in the process that I really struggle with because he compares his relationship with the father with that of a father and son, right? Um, and that's a tough thing for me to grasp because my understanding of Jesus is that he and the father are the same. You know, hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And we have this rabid, uh, you know, commitment to the 
to the monotheistic God that there is only one God, and yet Jesus in this case is using language that seems to separate him from God, that he's a father and I'm a son. And how can you be the same as the father and yet be the son of the father? And the answer to that is the Trinity is impossible to explain. I mean, how can you be the same and yet be totally different? That would be like saying, you know, I'm Bill, but I'm someone besides Bill, right? And I wrestled with this because the Son is subordinate to the Father, and yet Jesus and God are one, inseparable. But then, you know, you realize that John always described him in both ways. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and that's Jesus, Logos, the divine Word. And notice what he says about him. And the word was what? With God. And the word was was God. And I look at that and I read that and I say, how can it be that you're both with and was? How can you be the same thing and yet be different? And yet that perfectly describes the way Jesus described the relationship, with and was. He was with God, he was God. I mean, at different times, Jesus described himself either way. Look at John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In that case, Jesus was God. But in this case, John chapter 5, he's using language that would indicate us some, some form of separateness from God, the emphasis on being with God. He says, I'm the Son, God's the Father. And he uses the image of the Father and Son, I think, for two reasons. First of all, he wanted to be clear who he was. He wanted to be very clear with these people to identify the power that they had just witnessed that nobody could argue with, that that power came from the Father. And so in understanding how the power could come from the Father to him, he uses the language of Father and Son. But secondly, I think he wants this. You see, this thing isn't just about the Jewish leaders at the time. It's not just about that guy that got healed. But the principles of this are going to skip down through the generation and slam right into us. Because he wants us to understand the power that's within us is from the Father through him. And so to do that, he uses that language. So here's how the power of Jesus works. Power is granted to the dependent. Granted to the dependent. Verse 19, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly. And whenever you see truly, truly, that word is amen, amen. It's where we get the word amen. Amen doesn't mean the end when you pray. Amen. The the word means truly. And when Jesus would connect those two words together before he said something else, it's like a flashing neon sign. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. The Son can do nothing without the Father. Not that he can't, but that he won't, because his nature is in perfect harmony with the Father. Jesus is never going to do something that the Father wouldn't do, and he's never going to not do something the Father would do. And so the Son and the Father are indissolubly linked, and, but, and yet you feel the humility of the expression, the dependency of the relationship, and that's really where he wants us to land. There's no taking credit for the Father's work. There's no grandstanding. There's no chest beating. Look what I did today. He said, I can do nothing without the Father, but the Father can do anything. And it really comes down to this, nothing from me, everything from God. 
One writer said that this is the new covenant arrangement for life. And Paul virtually said the same thing about himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our competence is from God. Nothing from me, everything from him. And that's the beginning point of walking in the power of Jesus. When you realize there's nothing in me capable of this, and this is the point you have to reach, I am powerless within myself. The only power that's in me is the power of God working through me. Nothing from me, everything from God. And so he continues the statement, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. And I love that, you know. He says, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. In other words, the Son is obedient to the Father's will and observant of the Father's counsel which is exactly as children what we're called to be. Look at verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows, here's the part, underline this, and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. I love that expression. He shows him all things. Isn't that what fathers do? Dads, isn't that how we train our kids? You don't train your kids with lectures and sermons. I mean, sometimes we do. Moms do that more than dads. You know, moms tend to, no knock, it's important, but moms do tend to overtalk some things. You know, like when a mom's going to discipline you, she'll, she'll talk you to death, right? She's like, I cook, I clean, I do the laundry, I pick up your room, I do all these things for you, and then you do this to me. I can't believe, you know, what's dad do? He just walks in and says, I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> There's no... There's no conversation there. Dads don't instill life values with a lecture or talk. They model it. And so really, wisdom is caught more than taught, right? And as you walk through life, the life lessons are forged and the values are formed. It's not any one thing. It's a million different little things going on all the time. Watch this. Be careful with that. Don't do that. Yeah, that's an important thing. Remember before you do this. And that's what we're doing. It's like, you know, here's how to eat ice cream. It's going to start to melt. Lick lick it quick, you know. I mean, it's no one little thing. And, and by the way, this is why time with kids is so important. You know, I hear guys say all the time, you know, I'm not spending any quantity time with my kid. I'm too busy for that, but I'm spending quality time with my kid. And let me just say this. There is no quality time without quantity time because those magic moments can't be planned. You can't make up for it with a trip to Disney World or something like that. It's every day a thousand million little things about modeling and mentoring and instilling and values that they, they catch it. They don't, it's not taught, it's caught. And a child will by nature imitate the father. You know, I watch my kids raising their children and it's, it's just a beautiful thing because of how many times I will see their children do exactly the same thing that I watched them do when they were the same age. And it's kind of fun because of that. But unfortunately for us, they also pick up on our negative traits, right? Some of it's inborn, some of it's genetic, but some of it's learned, you know, and that little, that little beautiful little rugrat grandbaby will start doing the same little 
road rat stuff that my kids did, and they'll have to correct them as I did my kids, you know, um, because sometimes they pick up on the wrong thing. I know this guy that was doing this thing at a, at a student ministry deal, and he had the parents and the students all together, and he said, uh, he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you kids to get alone, and I want you to develop a list of all the things you don't like about your parents. So the kids got real energized by that, and they started making a list, you know. Uh, they don't listen. They don't care about my things. They always tell me what to do. They get mad too easy. They say one thing and do another. And he said the same thing to the parents. I want you all to make a list of all the things you do that upset your, your children or that you don't like about your children. And so the parents got together and made their list. So he called everybody back in. He said, okay, let's list all the things that, that your parents do that upset you or that you don't like about them. And he has a chalkboard, and he writes them all on the chalkboard. You know, they don't listen. They're, they, they, they talk too much. They do this. They tell me what to do all the time. And they list all that on the chalkboard. And he said, okay, now let's reveal what the parents said that you do that they don't like. And they flipped it over, and the, and the parents had one statement. It says, they're too much like us. Because they become so much of what is in us. Now, the beautiful thing about Jesus is the Father has no flaws. And so what you see in Jesus is this beautiful manifestation of who the Father really is. And Jesus said, everything you see me do and hear me say is coming straight from the Father. He was totally dependent on the Father. And that's where we need to come. That's our goal. Because what happens with power of God is it works like this. The Father gives the Son, the Son gives to us. And so that's that second idea about power is it's intended to be shared. Look at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and, wish, and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Everything that I have is a gift from the Father. And the power to live the holiness of Christ is the power of the Father transferred to the Son, transferred to me through the Spirit. In fact, I would say this, I personally am powerless over sin and addiction. There's nothing within me capable of that. And I, I really believe that's true of all of us. You know, the very thing I hate, I do. That which I would do, I don't do, Paul said. And if Paul said it, I got it. Because, man, we're just so driven by our impulses. You know, there was this old cartoon it's years ago, one of the really good ones. It was called Mother Goose and Grimm. Anybody remember Mother Goose and Grimm? I'm the only person in the room. JR? Where's JR? I don't have my glasses on. JR? Well, Mother Goose was this sort of elderly character, and then Grim was her dog. And one day, Grim is sitting, and he's looking at his tail, and his tail's wagging real fast. And Grim goes, There it goes again. And for the next three frames, the dog is just spinning in wild circles trying to chase his tail. And then finally he stops and he scolds himself and he goes, why do I do that? I know I'm never going to catch that thing. I do it all the time. I'm never doing that again. And in the final frame, he looks at his tail and it's wagging and he goes, there it goes again. And I thought, that's me. There are things that I do, things that you do, sins that we fall into, and we say, I'm never going to do that again. And then we look at it and we go, there it goes again. So if I can't be victorious over my sin, I need the power of Christ working in me. And here's the beautiful thing, what, the, what God the Father has given the Son, the Son gives to us. The Father shares His power with the Son, the Son shares His power with us, and it happens in three forms. Let me walk you through these quickly. First is His redeeming power to save. 
I cannot save myself. The wages of sin is death. Nothing I can do about that. John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like a, a, a branch has to stay connected to the vine, the power of God flowing through that, the redemptive power of God to, to, to change that which is unholy into that which is holy. And that's the justification of God. And then his transforming power changes us. You see, it doesn't mean just because his power is in us and we've been redeemed that everything's going to go our way, right? I've said this many times, all things aren't going to be good, right? Look at Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to be good to those who love him. Is that what it says? It says, work together for good. All things are not going to be good. I know some preachers say that. Usually the preacher that says that's on television, he wears really nice clothes and has an airplane. He's going to tell you everything's going to be good. If you just love Jesus, you'll look better, dress better, and your wife will be better looking. But that's not what the scripture says. It says all things work together for the good because there's stuff in us that needs to be dealt with. And the only way those things in us can be dealt with is through this thing called pain. And so there are times where God will allow pain and worry and hurts and heartache and trouble into our life. And he's going to take that and he's going to work it and use it together for the good. Because keep reading that verse. Look at the next one. Verse 29. Whom he foreknew, that is, those he knew would come into faith with Jesus, through his foreknowledge, he knew who was going to be his. These he predestined. And, let, and don't get caught up in that. That word predestined only occurs five times in the New Testament, and every time it refers to someone after salvation. God's predestined plan is for you to look just like Jesus, for whom he foreknew these he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. God wants every one of us to look just like Jesus. And he uses the power of transformation in our lives to cause that. And sometimes it happens through pain and hurt and heartache. You know, I live in this pecan orchard and pecan trees drop a lot of limbs. It's just the nature of a pecan tree. The other day we had this big storm blow through and I looked out and after the wind, pecan limbs all over the yard. But then Amy made an interesting observation. She noticed that most of the limbs that fell from the trees were already dead limbs. Because the dead limbs had already fallen and gotten stuck in the branches and the storm blew them out. And she said this to me. She said, you know, we're like those pecans. Old dead stuff accumulates in us too. And so God allows the storms to blow through our lives to take out the dead branches. I'm like, I remember now why I married this woman. She's so insightful. And that's exactly what John is talking about. That's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans. Look at the end of Romans 8, 29. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now we understand why Jesus is using the language of the Son and the Father. Because it's not just about him and these Jewish leaders. It's not just about this guy that got healed. It's about us. You see, his plan all the time was to transfer his power into us. Just as the father gives to the son, he's going to make a whole bunch of other sons who by grace through faith have come into a relationship with them, and that same power is appropriated to us as well. He transfers that power to us. 
And that transferred power multiplies us. The Father shares His power with the Son. The Son shares His power with us. And we share that power with the world. There's a word for this. You know what it's called? Here's the spiritual word for it. Discipleship. That's what it's called. The redeeming power saves us. The transforming power changes us. And the shared power multiplies us. And that's what God wants to do in your life. We live in a world that wants a buddy Jesus, a mamby-pamby, pathetic, impotent Jesus. But that's not who he was at all. He was the very power of God manifest to, to not just his generation, but to every subsequent generation that's come. And the power that he manifest was a dependent power. He said, I received it from the Father. I can do nothing. God can do everything. That's your beginning place. When you come to a point in your life and you say, you know what? I can do nothing. I'm powerless over my sin. I'm powerless over my addiction. I'm powerless over the events of my life. I need the power of God in my life. At that moment, he appropriates that power to you. When we come into that saving relationship, there is redemptive power. And that redemptive power takes the person that was sinful and lost and dirty and filled with, filled with shame and regret and remorse, and he turns him into the very nature of Christ. And then there is that transforming power where he begins to work on us. And he takes us through some stuff, and we have to realize that the same power that keeps us from the trouble carries us through the trouble. And in that moment, we become more like Jesus. And then that power that he has given to us and transformed us, we then transfer. And we share that power with everybody that we love and know. And the gospel goes forward and change happens. Is that where you are right now? Is that what you need? Do you need the power of God in your life? You know, it starts with that relationship. And it's a simple dependent thing. I can do nothing. He can do everything. God, do with me what only you can do. Are you ready to do that today? I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're going through the transforming power of God, and it's no fun. It hurts, and uh, you need to know that God is just as much at work in your hurt as he is in your happiness. And, and in that moment, it's just a dependency thing, God. You know, I was talking to a lady last night. I just found out she's got cancer. And she said, I'm not, I'm not saying this just because you're the preacher and you're on the phone, but I'm okay. God's got this. And I could tell in her heart she was okay, even though she was dealing with a big hurt. God can do that in your life. Are there people in your life that you love? You need the power of God flowing through you to transfer that. Would you just pray with me right now? Father, we recognize that the only power we have is through your Son. I'm nothing, you're everything. And Father, I pray for those specifically, first of all, that need the power of Christ for redemption. In this place, they need to know that they're in relationship with you and that you can do through them what they can't do for themselves. 
And so in the humility of this moment, I just pray that they would say that prayer, dear Jesus, come into my life and change me. I, best I understand, I'm gonna give all that I understand about me to all that I understand about you. Forgive my sins, heal me. Father, we thank you for the healing power of grace. Father, there are people who are going through some hard times right now. They may have their hearts broken by someone who has betrayed their trust. They may be struggling with financial problems or sickness. And it hurts. Help them, Father, to allow you to blow through their life that only the dead limbs would fall out. And all that's left is Jesus. Father, there are people we love that we want to reach into their lives, but we don't seem to know the words and we don't seem to have the ability. So, Father, I pray you would do through us what we're incapable of. And that you would share your power with us today. We thank you for that. Thank you that that was your plan all along. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.